Okay, Brooke, thank you so much for joining the pod podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Excellent. So I want to go back like way, way, way before kind of. Did you always want to work? So you you work within the health sector at the moment, but did you always want to work within the health sector? Um, yeah, if I go kind of way back, um, I probably since I was about three years old, um, I think it was when I first started uh, saying that I wanted to, I, I used to say I wanted to be a nurse because I thought mm. that women were nurses and men were doctors and that was how it worked. Uh, so yes, I think from as long as I can remember, I did want to work kind of looking after people, making them better. And I kind of explored that more more and more whilst I was at school and whether or not I was actually just saying that and it was just something I'd thought of since I was young but did I actually really want to do it and then I you know had some opportunities to explore that through things like work experience and also actually when my grandma was unwell I used to kind of look after her um, and do little things like you know dressing wounds and things like that but I kind of I I actually enjoyed that and I enjoyed kind of um, taking care of people so yeah I think working in the healthcare sector in some form was always part of part of my plan I didn't know exactly how I would do that right so you always knew you wanted to work in the health sector did you study that at university kind of how long and if so how long did you study that for and what was the actual course that you studied yeah sure so I I did as soon as I graduated finished school um I went straight to medical school so I applied in uh, kind of in sixth form uh, and I went straight to medical school uh where it's a six-year course uh for a medical degree uh, to be a doctor uh and um there are options within it there are kind of five-year and four-year courses but I did the six-year course because it includes um like an additional science degree uh so I did um a degree in medicine and I also have a degree in immunology um and kind of uh, my extra degree I involved studying like viruses uh and vaccines things like that just as particle studies so overall it, it was six years Wow, that is a very long time for one course. And was there placements along the course? Kind of, did you get to experience, in a sense, the whole of the the health sector in different, yeah, in different placements? Yeah, absolutely. So different medical schools run things in different ways. So I went to UCL, which is a medical school in London. uh, And the way they structure their courses, the first couple of years is more lecture based, is more science based. uh, And you kind of... There is a little bit of patient contact, but generally it's more of a kind of more traditional university experience where you go, you go along to lectures, you do group group sessions and things like that. And then uh, you have a year out doing a science degree, the third year, and then the rest of the placements of the final three years was all uh, in hospitals in different uh, specialities. So around medicine, um, you know, everything from pediatrics, general practice, A&E, surgery, we kind of rotated through uh, all the different medical specialties that are on offer, uh, doing doing kind of four to six weeks in each place, uh, depending on what it was, uh, so that you get a kind of good picture of all the different conditions that people can come to their doctor with, all the different options in terms of how we how we can treat people and help to make them feel better, depending on what's going on. So yeah, we did, there was clinical practice as well as part of the degree, but that was only in the later years Mm. 
at during the six years when you were doing those placements, did you have at any point in time where you were like, oh, this this might be a potential option for me to do in the future? Did you have any of those moments? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, you know, I'm working now as an obstetrics and gynecology doctor, which is mainly a women's health doctor. But I didn't really know about that as a specialty, actually, mm. when I was in medical school you know I hadn't had kids myself so I wasn't really that familiar with the process Um, and so it was only when I did that that placement at medical school and my ONG placement that I decided that actually that was something I was interested in but even at that point I wasn't convinced because uh, there are also drawbacks to it as a as a uh, speciality so I wasn't sure and I was kind of deciding for a long time between women's health and general practice and obviously in the end I chose women's health. It's it's really interesting to, or it must have been really interesting to kind of have all of that experience. How did you decide to do, what made you decide to do that compared to any kind of any other options within the health sector? Well, I guess for me as a woman, I think that, you know, women experience a number of um, things throughout their life cycle um, and have different needs at different times from when you first start your periods and understanding what that involves, what's normal, what's not. Um, when you when you decide to become pregnant, facing fertility, miscarriage, pregnancy, and even in later life when women go through the menopause, there's there's so many different parts of our lives that we kind of go through and of, often in silence. Um, and I, I really enjoy talking to women about these problems, being able to help them with them. And often people put up with problems for a very long time but they don't necessarily need to you know women will put up with having heavy or painful periods for most of their life without really speaking to anybody about it not realizing that there actually is a lot that we can do to help so we you know I really enjoyed um being able to kind of tease out that information talk to people about those problems uh so so women's health as a subject I found interesting but also as part of the job we get to work we work on labor ward we look after women during pregnancy and we deliver babies we do cesarean sections we we deliver babies in all different ways and you know that's that's an incredible thing to be a part of you get to be literally present at the most incredible moments of people's lives and you get to witness you know a very very sad sometimes moments but also very beautiful moments um and so that that part of the job can be a pleasure and actually other specialties in medicine you're often a part of looking after people when they're dying or when they're you know in, in extreme pain and I think that there are amazing things that you can do in those situations and it can be extremely rewarding to be able to help people going through that uh but I felt more drawn to this kind of labor ward environment and these women's health problems I just I just found it a very kind of satisfying job uh with that was very rewarding for me that's not to say it's not it's not difficult as well as Mm. it does have its own challenges sure uh it's for example you know it's a surgical specialty we work long hours we work night shifts we work weekend shifts throughout our career it's not really something that stops even when you become a consultant you're expected you still cover nights and uh weekends that's just a part of your life kind of forever uh it's also a very fast-paced job and um if you're somebody that doesn't necessarily like working under pressure or working in that kind of high stress environment it it can be very overwhelming for people because it's it's high risk and you're dealing with with you know very risky situations and if you don't make the right call you don't make the right decision then you know it it can be potentially catastrophic so you've kind of got to also live with that risk on your shoulders as well so it it has a lot of appeal I think but it does have drawbacks as well a hundred percent um 
I guess I'm just thinking of how to word this one. Do you think there is enough? This is kind of on a, on a, on a, on a tangent in a way, but I think it is so important that kind of the question is asked. Is there enough done to educate us generally about these issues that you are talking about in, in kind of terms of women's health and all of those kind of things? Uh, I think there is definitely not enough done mm. uh, to reach uh, girls, women of all stages in life. And, you know, we're lucky we live in a country where we've kind of got um, quite a reliable media and that, you know, there are scientific programs on television when you think about the developing world and you think about the things that women go through in villages where they're never taught about what a period is or how to um you know how to look after themselves during that time they're mocked if someone sees their period products i think Mm. there is so much that we can to kind of normalize every aspect of women's health normalizing the conversations so that's actually why i i set up um an instagram account and my blog and uh i I just try to get some of this information, which I feel I'm privileged to have. I'm privileged to have had the education at medical school and to understand, you know, some of the problems that women face, women face and what we can do about it. And I want to kind of get some of that information out there in the wider world. So people don't necessarily need to go to their doctor to seek answers. They can also be empowered themselves to understand you know, understand their own bodies and, and what they can do to help themselves. Also, do you think that not just women, but also kind of men, because for me, it was, it, you know, I'd, I'd never heard of an obs and gyne and all of these kind of things that you are talking about as a man. So is it something that we need to be educated about, do you think? Or is there no, was that, do you know what I mean? Is there less of a need for us to be educated? A hundred percent. And I, I wish I knew how to reach more men. Um, mm. I think it's a massive issue. Uh, on my own, you know, my Instagram account that I've now had for several years, when I look at the the, the followers, I've got 97% are female. And I find that it's very mm. frustrating. And that's because I think, you know, of course, women are out there seeking answers and want to hear about women's health possibly but men don't think it's relevant to them but actually as you know for someone who's got a sister for someone you know a girlfriend and you know you do need to understand these things and I think it helps everybody in society if men you know understand also what women face uh, and and it's just and that it's a part of their lives as well it's not something that we need to hide away there should be no shame I uh, I recently started a TikTok account which I'm I'm almost afraid of now because actually when I talk about women's health I seem to have come across a um an angry male audience and Mm. and the things that people say about women's body and how um you know they should do certain things to please men and and everything It, it, it I find it so shameful in our times now that there are still you know women men can still speak about women and women's bodies in the same way but you know we know that violence towards women exists everywhere and that's only because women can be treated as a kind of lower species when they're on their period or when they go through certain times domestic violence increases massively during pregnancy and that's a time when you know men feel uh, increased levels of anger potentially towards towards their their female partners so I think yes in answer to your question I would love to reach more men uh, make sure that we are having open discussions that it's not just about educating women it's about educating everybody and and that can make some of these taboo subjects no longer taboo and I think it it, it benefits everybody in, in wider society as well it is, it is. I guess it is so scary for me to kind of hear all of that because 
it shouldn't be a taboo subject. It should be something that is just talked about as a society because, you know, I don't, first, I don't think there's, there's enough done about men, men's kind of sexual health, et cetera. But it's, but kind of coupled with that, there's not enough done about women's sexual health. And all of that needs to kind of like be broken and just spoken about. That, uh, that is one of the things that I so strongly believe in. Yes, absolutely. And I think the more that we um, have open and honest conversations, I think the better it is for as well I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what's normal and what's not and mm-hmm. then they left feeling maybe abnormal you know like you say men men experience sexual health problems they also experience depression and they experience you know things that impact on their mood and that may also impact on their relationships more widely and I think yeah um having having these kind of conversations using social media I think it is empowering although there is a lot of it kind of misinformation and fake news out there as well so it's a scary place too but I think it it can be used for good and when you talk about kind of using things for good such as social media what you have done is I'm sure for so many women unbelievable so helpful etc what so you, you yeah what made you want to kind of launch the whole the whole Instagram in the first place secondly did you think it would reach the following that it currently does and where yeah where do you see it going kind of thing so so I started I set up my Instagram account first of all when I was actually pregnant for the first time myself and I felt that again I was in a privileged position where I was going through pregnancy and navigating what is kind of a crazy time when your body is constantly changing and you have all these questions about what's going on and what's going to happen next and I was in that privileged position I could just turn to my colleagues at work and and talk about it and talk about my thoughts about birth and what my options are and I kind of knew some of that instinctively but I realized a lot of my friends who were going through similar didn't have that opportunity and they maybe waited for their midwife appointments sometimes the midwife appointments can be very quick and might not be able to answer all of their questions or they get dismissed so I wanted to create a kind of platform or a place where people can seek information that's not just by going on like you know NHS websites or mm-hmm. that are often quite intangible and not not very approachable sources of information so I, I'd seen there weren't very many people actually at the time, like doctors that were on social media. And I didn't for a long time really understand how I would do it or how I would go about it. But I'd seen there, there were some in America, actually, that were doing it. First of all, some obs and gynae doctors there mm-hmm. um, who were just starting to just share some information and and kind of through their own voice and putting their own pictures out there. Uh, it, it felt much more relatable. It felt like you knew who was talking to you. You knew that you trusted them because you could see them day in, day out and what they were up to. And so I, I wanted to kind of that, you know, a, a UK slant on it and, and try it out myself. So I really had no idea where it would go or, or whether anyone would be interested at all or whether, and I didn't even tell anybody about it. I didn't tell my family. I just kind of just started posting. Um, and it, it did grow. it was quite slow especially at the start and I I kind of fell in and out of love with it all the time sometimes I was like I don't know why I'm doing this I don't know what I'm hoping to achieve sometimes I would just think of something meaningful that I wanted to put out there and other people would enjoy and that kind of um I I really enjoyed the the kick from that as well so it was a slow a slow process but um yeah I it has a bit of a platform now and I'm trying to kind of use other uh, social media platform well to just try to reach more people and uh 
I don't know in terms of where I want it to go I I don't really mind I don't have a set goal with it I just want to make sure that um I'm I guess drowning out some of the the noise the fake news out there for example coronavirus has has really kind of brought that all to the to the front because there's especially when it comes to like women's fertility and coronavirus and the coronavirus vaccine I think there has been so much rubbish out there mm. so I want to just share the right information that people can rely on um and so I, in order to I guess ha- have the biggest impact it, it, it's good if it grows but I, I I'm not that, that's like numbers don't drive me actually I, I the numbers don't bother me probably uh, as much as they should do okay so you spoke about COVID and pregnancy and all of these kind and all of those kind of things. And there are, or there could be a lot of kind of expecting mothers or anxious, yeah, anxious expecting mothers listening to this podcast who due to COVID might think that their experience of pregnancy may be different. What would you say to those mothers who are anxious about A, getting into kind of going to that labour ward? And on a side note of that, yeah, is it is it as bad as people make it out to be in inverted commas kind of thing? I think at the start it was when when the first lockdown happened and COVID was out of control. We really didn't understand things. It was terrifying for people who were mm. pregnant. Uh, we didn't know what the risks were of getting COVID in pregnancy. Um, everyone was just closing everything down. We could no partners were allowed onto the labour ward. Um, I think it was a very scary place to be. We've come a very long way. I think as with, you know, all places in society now, things are opening up, things are easing. And I would say that actually your experience when you come onto a labour ward at the moment is not that different to pre-pandemic. The only main difference is we used to allow people to have two birth partners with them. Uh, People often say their mother and their partner. Now it's probably, um, now it's, a one partner with you during labor but you know they can be with you the whole time they get to stay with you for a short period afterwards and then they have visiting time when you're on the ward as well so in terms of your partner being with you it's it's not that different uh again a lot of people have either um had covid at some point or been vaccinated all the staff have been vaccinated so your chances of catching covid of being unwell with covid at the time you're giving birth is, is pretty low nowadays so i think People don't need to be too worried because I, I think things aren't that different at the moment in the UK. Of course, it can always change. Uh, we don't know what the kind of next few months um, holds for us. But yeah, I, I would feel quite reassured at the moment. And in the same way, your kind of your background within you went in, at university, you studied all about vaccines and all of those kind of things. So do you know about the current vaccinations that are on offer? Are they safe? Are they kind of good to go? And should we all be taking them? So, yes, I think the the COVID vaccine is an amazing achievement over the past year. I, like everybody, was quite cautious at the start. I really wasn't sure if it's something that I would want to take if it was so new. But the more that we've read, the more experience we've had in the real world now of the vaccine being rolled out, we can see that it is incredibly safe. And not just that it's incredibly safe, it is absolutely transforming the world and our approach to coronavirus and really is what's going to allow us to go back to leading a normal life. Um, the vaccines are are extremely safe. The only uh, risk right now that we kind of need to be aware of is these risks of blood clots and, and specifically the these uh, certain rare blood clots uh 
as I understand it, they have been shown with all three of the vaccines, but there's been a slightly higher association with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is why at the moment um, they're restricting the use of that vaccine in the lower age groups and the younger age groups. So uh, I think it's under 40 um, in the UK you would be advised to have a different type of vaccine. So either um, the Moderna vaccine or the um, Pfizer vaccine. But generally, I would say I would happily take any of those because even with the AstraZeneca vaccine, you know, the risks are still exceptionally low of having these blood clots. Having a blood clot when you take the contraceptive pill is higher than the risk of having a blood clot after having these one-off vaccines. So uh, I think they are very safe. We can be very reassured um, to go for it. Uh, of course, it's down to everybody each individual to make their own choices uh, i think it's great now that we're also able to offer them to women during pregnancy as well again mm. because we've shown that you're not at any higher risk of anything during pregnancy and anything pregnancy itself if you catch covid you are at much higher risk of dying so having had the vaccine before pregnancy gives you or, or during pregnancy gives you a very good chance that you're not going to catch covid and you're not going to become extremely unwell so yeah i think it's an amazing achievement over the last year and i'm i'm glad the vaccines are here and available hundred percent has your job changed completely due to covid in the first like how how much has your job your job changed and kind of do you remember when it hit the first wave do, do you how much yeah how much had your job changed when the first wave when the first wave hit so i was actually on maternity leave when the first um my second child was four months old so I wasn't actually on the wards although my husband was because he is a cardiology doctor and he was called in as to be an intensive care doctor in the first wave so yeah we were very much involved in that side and it was actually very scary again we were really Mm. worried about him working in the intensive care units it was a time when there wasn't much PP around and whether or not he'd have enough to to attend to the patients that he needed to um and worried about him bringing it home and infecting any of us as well it was a very scary time I think you know for everybody uh again as time has gone on of course our jobs at the beginning like everybody's jobs completely changed because we're so used to seeing patients day in day out patients come in and out of the hospital for their appointments for their scans etc and we then were only seeing people coming in with emergencies we stopped everything routine so that was a big change in our jobs compared to usual not doing any of the clinic appointments and any of the um, scans that we normally do now we're back up to running all of those things now thankfully so I would actually say unlike many people who are probably still working from home my job actually now at the moment doesn't look any different from it did um, before coronavirus apart from the fact that I have to wear a mask I find it unbelievable kind of just hearing all these stories about how people like you, people that work within the health sector have put themselves on the line on a daily basis to make sure that we can be protected and that we are safe. Whether it be, you know, working in the, in the hospital as a nurse or a doctor or doing what you are doing, it is unbelievable what you are doing. And I want to thank you for all the work that you that I feel very I'm very grateful um, and lucky that I you know have had a job throughout this as well and I think although we did you know uh, take take risks um, ourselves being on the front line throughout working in the pandemic I think we're also at this point grateful that our jobs have been unaffected and so and um, we were very very early on to get the vaccine so uh, I think yes people did sacrifice themselves a lot of healthcare workers put, putting themselves on the front line but I also think everybody, there is no one that hasn't been affected this time. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time on this podcast tonight. And at the end of all of our recordings, we ask 
our guests to tell us how they, at the end of a really long day, how you relax and how you de-stress, basically? Uh, well, uh, I, I usually put my kids to bed um, and I spend my time creating content on Instagram. I actually quite like the creative outlet of making videos and, and all those kind of things. So that's kind of, yeah, it's sad. It's my hobby a bit. Um, and I often spend most of the day with ideas filled in my head for content. So I actually really like getting them down at the end of the day and, and creating content to put out there. So, yeah, that's what I do. That is absolutely brilliant thank you for again thank you for joining me thank you for all your words and wisdom that you shared and if people do want to kind of get in touch with the obg mum as you are as you are called what is it that you how can they follow you on instagram etc yeah sure i mean you can find me on instagram at the obgyn mum um or just search brooke van der molen and you'll you'll find me there Thank you again and keep well, keep safe.